Let's turn again to Luke 13 and look at those four simple verses that warn us about fruit in our lives. I'm thankful for those of you that made your way to me between services and we're thankful for having your toes stepped on, thankful for having an unpleasant sermon preached, thankful for being warned and reminded of the fruit that we ought to bear. Luke 13, verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well... And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. May the Lord bless the preaching, reading, and consideration of His Word. I've explained the short parable. The Lord Jesus Christ comes in and examines His churches. He can take a candlestick away from a church like the church at Ephesus by judging the whole church. He can come into a church like at Corinth and just judge those that are guilty, causing them to be weak, sickly, and some died before their time. He is able to judge both whole churches and individual members within each church. These are the words of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ when He said, Cut it down! Why cumbereth it the ground? And everyone, from me to you, each of us, should ask, Am I a barren fig tree in the vineyard of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he came looking for fruit. And the dresser knew that if with extra digging and dunging he was able to fertilize and help that tree into some growth, then it would be well. The Lord Jesus Christ would be happy and pleased with some fruit. But if not, even the dresser, who typically cared that nothing be cut down in his Care said, cut it down after I've given it another shot. And brethren, that's how it is in this church, and that's how it is in all true churches. The Lord Jesus Christ is walking among His candlesticks. And when we say that, we mean that He is looking and examining all of His churches and the individual members within those churches. If there isn't fruit, He will come back and eventually cut out those members that are cumbering the ground of His vineyard. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, where the Lord Jesus Christ addressed His disciples. If you start in John 13, you find that John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all spoken the night our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed. So we are dealing with the disciples We're not dealing with a crowd at large. We're dealing with the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me read to you the verses that were read earlier 
from John 15 because they say something very similar to us. Beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is the word of the Lord. In this case, when Jesus describes himself, he is not the Lord of the vineyard. He's the vine of the vineyard. The Lord can use these different parables, metaphors, and allegories in any way that he chooses. In the first verse, he tells us, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So he has changed the circumstances slightly, but the point in the lesson is still very similar. We better be bearing fruit. He says in verse 2, every branch in me. And there are branches in the Lord Jesus Christ that do not bear the fruit that they should. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. God will judge branches that do not use the grace of God that is given to them by being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they leave the vine by not abiding in him. And if you were paying attention to the reading, you know what it means to abide in him. He is looking for fruit. If he doesn't see fruit, it is cut off, it withers up, it's taken away, and it is burned. If it bears fruit, he prunes it. He purges it, purges it so that it will bear more fruit. And that is the chastening that God brings in our lives so that we will be more fruitful. But what does it mean to abide in him? That is the question. You should be asking, how do I abide in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that sustaining strength from him? Well, that is to walk in the Spirit, because Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, inhabits us and bears fruit by that Spirit not being quenched or grieved by our sins. But here's how Jesus taught it here. Verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. The abiding of Jesus Christ in His Father and of us in Jesus Christ, is keeping His commandments. When we choose 
to not keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we choose not to obey the New Testament, we depart from Him. We separate from Him. We quench the Holy Spirit of God and we grieve the Holy Spirit so we cannot bear the fruit that's under consideration right here. We cost ourselves that fruit-bearing relationship with Jesus Christ because we depart from Him by breaking His commandments. If we were to keep His commandments, we would abide in Him. Because abiding in Him is believing on Him, loving Him, and keeping His commandments. It is not mysterious. It's very practical. It's very simple. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Do you believe that He's the Son of God sitting on the throne of glory and coming again for us? If you love Him, then keep His commandments. Because by keeping His commandments, we abide in Him. We stay there. It's when we break a commandment that we break ourselves off of that vine and depart from Him and we lose the sustaining strength of Jesus Christ by His Spirit and we end up not being fruitful. And every one of you that are honest should know exactly what I'm talking about. When you have chosen something of this world over the commandments of Jesus Christ, you know how barren and dry your soul became because you left Him who is your sustaining strength. And it's by breaking His commandments. Now, brethren, this passage is addressed to His disciples. Luke 13 was addressed to a mongrel crowd. Jesus told them in the first five verses of Luke 13, if all of you don't repent, you're all going to perish like the 18 that Pilate killed along with their sacrifices and like the 18, and I may have the numbers mixed up, the 18 that died when a tower of Siloam fell on them. Now that was just pure terror of the Lord in Luke 13, 1 through 9. And the Bible tells us that terror of the Lord is a good thing. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But notice what we have here. Did you already notice? Here's fruit bearing. Here's branches being broken off, withering up, and being burned. But notice what the lesson is for here. Verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. I have not told you this lesson just to terrify you. I have told you this lesson so that you can participate in the joy that I have in my Father, and that your joy can be full. Because fullness of joy is dependent on keeping God's commandments and abiding in Jesus Christ. If you step away, if you step away from Jesus Christ by getting enamored with this world, you will wonder why you're frustrated, discontent, unhappy, unfulfilled. I know why, and you know why now, because I'm telling you again. It's because you got your eyes, love, and obedience off of Jesus Christ. If you make Jesus Christ the love of your heart and the love of your life, you will be full of joy. It is when you leave that commitment and leave that love and leave that obedience that you lose your joy. Look at the purpose for the lesson here when he's alone with his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That is a wonderful blessing. So what we have before us this day is something like Joshua said and something like Moses said and something like Elijah said. 
I have set before you life and blessing or death and cursing. Choose you this day. Why halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord Jesus Christ isn't good enough, then fill your belly with the things of this world. If the Lord Jesus Christ is good enough, then make Him the love of your life and the love of your soul and your mind and pursue Him with all your might. I tell you on the authority of the Word of God, you'll be saved with a fullness of joy now and a confident admiring of the Lord Jesus Christ when you see Him. If you cheat on this choice, you are going to suffer now and you are going to meet Him in fear and terror. That your joy might be full. We want to bear fruit because the Lord is looking for fruit in His churches and we want to bear fruit because we want to have that fullness of joy that He's offered to His disciples. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I've, I've quoted this verse to you this afternoon already, but I want you to look at this passage. Your good brother and my good brother asked a good question. Let's go over the fruit again. Remind me, what fruit is God looking for when Jesus Christ comes and examines His churches and His in the individual members of those churches? Second Peter chapter 1 tells us in the first verse that we have obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's 1-1. So we start with faith. And where did faith come from? It is a gift from God through the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We obtained it through Him. But then we come down to verse 5. And let me read down through verse 12. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. The Apostle Peter said as long as he was alive and in this tabernacle, he was going to remind the saints of the importance of making their calling and election sure and bearing fruit so that they would not be a barren fig tree in the vineyard of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that eighth verse. If these things be in you and abound, and that's what we've prayed for this afternoon, 
if these things be in you and abound, I mean flowing over, filled up, bountiful, much, lots of it, consistently, all the time, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the verse we wanted. That's the verse that fits Luke 13 so well and tells us, here are the things that if you have them in your life, you are not that barren fig tree. You are a fruitful vine. These are the things. This shows us that the knowledge of Jesus Christ, having confessed Him as being the Son of God, having been baptized in His name, is now working a change in our life that shows fruitfulness. These things right here. This is our salvation from being in Luke 13 and being cut down. I hope that list of things is getting you excited. Remind me, Pastor, remind me of what those eight things are so that I can have them in my life because I do not want to be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are men, and look at verse 9, but he that lacketh these things, notice, there are, there are Christians, there are saints, there are church members that lack these things. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He's blind. The eye of faith is shot in him. This doesn't mean that he goes to an eye doctor and has to get glasses or that he has a cane or a seeing eye dog. This means his eye of faith is gone. He doesn't see the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't see the glory of his king. He doesn't see the love of a savior. He doesn't see the hope of heaven. He's all wrapped up on this plane. All he can see on this plane is his business, his job, his house, or a woman, her family, her husband, her, your hobbies. You're blind. You're not looking at the real things in life. That's what it's meaning here in verse 9. He that lacketh these things is blind. He can't see afar off. He's forgetting that he is going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of his life. He's forgetting that there's a heaven to come that makes this earth of no value. That everything here is vain and vexing. And he's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Do you know why we have the Lord's Supper? And there wouldn't be a thing wrong with having it every Sunday. Do you know why we have it? To remember the Lord's death till He comes so that we remember that we were purged from our old sins by His death for us. A man that doesn't have any fruit in his life must have forgot that Jesus died for him because he's no longer living for Christ. We live for Christ because we remember He died for us. That's what the ninth verse means. And so I hope you understand the word rather in verse 10. Wherefore the rather... Instead of that guy in verse 9 that's forgotten what Jesus Christ did for him, that is blind and cannot see heaven, instead of being like that, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. But what kind of an entrance will you have into heaven? What's the word that's used there in verse 11? Abundantly. There's going to be an abundant entrance. You're not going to barely get in. You're not going to be saved so as by fire. You're going to be abundantly saved in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ because of the fruitfulness in your life. And Peter said, as long as I'm alive, even though you already know this fact, 
I'm going to keep reminding you that these are the things you ought to have in your life. Let's quickly look at them. Faith was given to us by God in verse 1. But when we come to verse 5, it says, Beside this, giving how much diligence? Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Faith believes that God is and that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith believes every promise of God. Faith believes the Bible. Faith believes what Solomon wrote, that the things of this world are vain and vexing. Faith lays hold of heaven because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know there's a heaven. We know that Jesus Christ is coming. And faith lays hold of all that and brings it into reality. But to faith, which is the first, which is the first thing we do when we hear the gospel and we're born again, we believe. But that isn't enough. You know, the whole world says, as long as you accepted Jesus at some point in your life, then heaven's sure for you. But this passage says, the only way heaven is sure for you is if you're bringing forth eight things in your life. Fruit bearing. You know, those crusades around the world where they have invitations and hundreds of them come forth like Billy Graham crusades, there have been men that have followed up on all of those decisions for Jesus and 98% of them aren't even going to church. You can read about it on the Internet. Don't trust me. Just go on the Internet and read faults, conversions, saved, decisions, Jesus, Graham. That'll be a good Google search. And you can read some documents. The Bible doesn't teach that. Because you've made a decision for Jesus, your eternal life in heaven is secure for you. The Bible says the only way you can make your calling and election sure is to bring forth these eight things. And to add to our faith, virtue. Virtue is that ennobling strength of doing what is right. Virtuous men do what is right. You know what a virtuous woman is. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. It doesn't matter whether her husband's home or away. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. It doesn't matter what part of her life. A virtuous woman always does what is right. She will do him good all the days of her life. She girds her arms up with strength. She lays hold of whatever is in front of her and does it. And she does it well. That is the virtuous woman. And that gives you a Bible definition of the word virtue. The ennobling strength of doing what is good and right. And that's what we add to our faith. We don't just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We go out and with strength and nobility of character, we do what is good and right in every situation we face. We are good fathers. We are good husbands. We are good church members, good employees, good employers, good neighbors, good citizens. We do what is right and good in all those cases. We add that to our faith. And faith without that is dead and meaningless. And this is how we know that we are bearing fruitfulness in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is how we can prove that we're not the barren fig tree. We believe on Jesus Christ and we do something about it because we do what is noble, good, and right everywhere at all times. And beside this, giving all diligence, we're in verse 5, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. We are not content with a little bit of knowledge about Jesus Christ, but we apply ourselves to the Word of God 
to increase in knowing about Jesus Christ, knowing what wisdom is, approving things that are more excellent, as Philippians chapter 1 described to us just last Sunday. We want to learn. We want to grow. We prove all things and find out what is true knowledge, and we acquire it. We want to increase in it. We want the certain words of truth in our mouth, in our heart, in our minds. We are not content at being simple Christians and continuing at the same level of knowledge as when we were first converted. We add. And do you know what it takes to add knowledge? It takes some study. It takes review. It takes meditation. It takes talking about it with others. Now, if you're listening, you know that there are some people that don't care about doing what is good and right all the time. They do whatever feels good to them, which is always wrong. Your feel-good ideas by measuring righteousness is not God's standard. The standard of true virtue is in the Bible, and it's only in the Bible. And then knowledge. It's not the knowledge of this world. It's not learning more about this world. It's learning more about God and His will for our lives. The message of the New Testament is that we would increase in the knowledge of what God wants from every aspect of our lives. And that takes study. That takes listening. That takes coming in and being a good hearer of the preaching of God's Word. Very similar to what I mentioned earlier today in that first sermon about take heed how ye hear. Because that's how you grow. So in verse 5, how much diligence were we to apply to this process? Give all diligence. God gives us faith. See, it doesn't say, go get yourself some faith. Go make a decision for Jesus and get started with faith. God gives us the faith, and then we add to it virtue, and then we add to it knowledge. We are growing as Christians in fruitfulness by God's definition. This is God's list of fruit. We come to verse 6 and to knowledge, temperance. What is temperance? Self-discipline. Self-control. You are able to rule your spirit. When you get ticked off inside, you're able to shut it down and keep performing in the way God expects you to. You don't get depressed. You don't get angry. You're able to rule your spirit. Temperance. You're able to control all your bodily appetites. You don't get out of control eating. You don't get out of control drinking. You don't get out of control doing anything. You're able to rule your spirit. Moderation. Being able to discipline yourself. Paul said the world knows how to do it. They all show temperance in training for athletic events. All they're going to get is a temporal crown or an Olympic gold medal. But we are going to obtain an incorruptible crown from the Lord of glory. But it's by self-discipline and self-control. You know, the world today, and you know what? Your flesh agrees with the the world uh, 100%. If it feels good, do it. If you're in a bad mood, let it all hang out and let the people around you suffer because after all, something bad happened to you and they should suffer right along with you. That is the flesh. That is the devil. That is the world that says, just go ahead and let it hang out. The Bible says, rule it. Rule your spirit by being temperate, disciplined, controlled in all things. We rule our tongue. You want to say something, but you know it wouldn't please the Lord. You cut it off. You cut the words off. 
You don't want to get up because you're depressed. Get up anyway. Let your feet hit the floor and go do something that the Lord's put in front of you. All of it is temperance. Ruling yourself. Oh, you're saying this fruit looks a little harder than I thought it would be. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I wanted to get to Galatians 2.20 so bad. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. But Christ liveth in me. Amen. Christ lives in us by His Spirit. God hath adopted us, and He has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And it is that Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the enabling strength to do all of these things and to do them easily if we would just humble ourselves and say, Lord, that's the way I want to live. That's the way I'm going to live. He'll give us the strength to do that. Verse 6 said that we add to our knowledge temperance. So we are self-disciplined and self-controlled in our moods, our speech, our work habits, our money, drinking, eating, all those things were disciplined, were controlled, because we've added that to our knowledge, which was added to our virtue, which was added to our faith. We get into the middle of verse 6, and to temperance we add patience. Patience. The ability to endure something going wrong. You know, people often think that patience just means I can wait a long time. Well, you could be lazy laying in bed intemperate waiting a long time. That isn't real patience. Patience is putting up with things going wrong. Patience is getting to that traffic light and thinking that it was going to be green for you to get through it, but it turned orange. Patience is some driver in front of you holding you up. Patience is someone in this assembly irritating you. Patience is not is God not giving you what you want when you want it. That's patience. We are able to take adverse conditions. We're able to receive things that we weren't planning on and handle them and to handle them cheerfully. That's patience. In the Lord's good time, I'm sure He'll do it. That's a man with patience talking. We expect the Lord to jump Whenever we want Him, and He's never promised that He would do that. If He were to do that, He would just make a bunch of spoiled children, just like we know about our own children. We make them wait for things. And the Lord makes us wait because He wants us to trust Him, to rely on Him, and to be patient. Because patience shows some real fruit. We are not patient by nature. The Lord has to make us patient. And if a person is able to show great patience in the face of opposition, difficulties, disappointments, trouble, if they can show patience when things are going wrong, when they can still serve the Lord and worship Him when things are going wrong, then that shows a work of grace in their hearts. If you can worship the Lord when everything is going right, you haven't proven anything. It's the patience that worships the Lord like Job. You know, the Bible tells us that Job is the great example of patience. Though everything was stripped away from him, he fell down and worshipped. And he said, "The Lord gave, he, he, he worshipped. He said, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is called patience in the Bible. Are there things going wrong in your life? When they go wrong in your life, 
Do you respond with cheer and confidence in the Lord because you know He hasn't forsaken you? That's patience. And we're to add that. And to patience, we're to add godliness. Godliness as being as godlike as we possibly can by the definition of the Bible. Not what we think God's like, but what the Bible says God's like. You know, God said, love your enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught it. Love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Do good to them that despitefully use you and curse you. And He said that ye may be the children of your Father in heaven because He sends His sunshine and His rain on the evil and the good every day and on the just and the unjust. There is a, there is a little aspect of godliness by loving our enemies. Just one little aspect of being like the God of heaven. He is merciful. The Bible tells us if we're merciful to others, then God Himself will be merciful to us. He is merciful. So we choose in all of our relationships, in all the things we do, to be like the God of heaven is. And I use the example about loving your enemies because that's one of the hardest things to do of all. And yet it's one of the things God does every day. When there is a perfect day outside and you go outside and have that instant feeling of, you know that the Lord's embracing you. When you have that feeling, realize He is sending that on His enemies as well as on His friends. And that is the same way we are to treat all those that are enemies to us. Whether they are close at hand, whether they're at work, whether they're in our family, wherever they might be, we are like our Father in heaven and we are showing true godliness. Men do not do this by nature. They do this only when there's a change in their life showing true fruit that is measured by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was tempted in all points like as we are, and He knows how hard it is to love your enemies because He was tempted just like we are, but He did it. To godliness, we add brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is the positive aspect of love. We go out of our way to show kindness toward our brothers. That's simple enough, isn't it? The positive aspect of love. What's the next one? Charity. Don't get brotherly love and charity confused. Brotherly love is all the positive things we do toward our brothers. Charity is overlooking all the negative things our brothers do toward us. Charity is being merciful, forgiving, forbearing, being long-suffering, not thinking evil, believing all things, hoping all things, bearing all things, enduring all things, not being easily provoked, being long-suffering. That's charity. Charity is when someone else offends us, we do not let it bother us at all. That is charity. Now look what we just went through. God gives us faith. To faith, we add virtue. To virtue, we add knowledge. To knowledge, we add patience. To temperance, to temperance, we add patience. To patience, we add godliness. To godliness, we add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, we add charity. Those are eight things. If these things be in you, look at that eighth verse. If these things be in you and abound, they make you, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus Christ is looking for when he walks among his candlesticks and examines the members of a church. If those things are in you, you're going to get an abundant entrance into heaven because that's the evidence of it. We don't earn our way to heaven. But how do we assure our souls that we're going to heaven? By these things. Because this is the life of a Christian. 
you need to ask yourselves, how virtuous are you? Virtuous. Always get, what does that virtuous woman do? She rises while it is yet, while it is yet night. She gets up early. She stays up late. She's always looking out for her household. Her husband can safely trust in her. He's all, she's always taking care of him. Virtue, godliness, patience, temperance, brotherly kindness in a positive way, charity in never getting disturbed or ruffled when they do something to offend us. All of it is fruit. All of it is how God measures us. This is the word of the Lord to fulfill Luke 13 and how we can be saved from having the Savior say of us, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word and the reminder of what fruit truly is. Do not deceive yourselves, brethren. God doesn't care if you know the Bible. The devils know it better than you or I do. God doesn't care what you say. God doesn't care what you feel. God doesn't care what others think. He measures us by this fruit. We can have it or we can be neglectful of it. If we give all of our diligence to it, by the strength of Christ, we can bear it. We can show much of it. We can abound in it. And he said, if you do, if you keep my commandments and abide in me by doing these things, you will have the joy that I have with my Father and your joy will be full. Praise His glorious name.